I am Sergio Brodsky, and I'm a brand and foresight strategist. And I'm Jazz Giuliani, the editor of Marketing Mag. Welcome to Futurecast, the podcast where we talk with professional futurists, renowned academics, and high-profile business leaders from around the world. In this series, we think about the future so that we can meaningfully change the present. The time is now. Join us for better futures. Welcome back to Futurecast. Today we are speaking with Joe White, who is a CMO and marketing director. Thank you for speaking with us, Joe. Thanks. I'm so excited. Oh, we're excited to have you. You're a C-suite strategic marketing executive and you've worked in a lot of senior positions in some really well-known Australian brands. And so I think a lot of our listeners will be quite familiar with you. You've worked at the City of Melbourne and also you are now working as the head of marketing and communications at TAC. So can you talk to us a little bit about your career in marketing and why you're passionate about the industry? Yeah, sure. Look, I've always been interested and attracted to marketing back when marketing became a thing. So it's been terrific to spend, um, let's not count the decades because it's starting to feel a bit like that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, started my career in a community-based credit union. I think that started my my passion for that community side of things and have um, over the years then moved through really commercial roles and really fine-tuned that customer value proposition and what makes big corporates tick and working on ASX uh, listed companies. So sort of transitioned through Telstra, um, working for in, well, what's now the Suncorp group on the Amy and the Apia brands, which have had both, um, you know, Amy's notorious as well for, for being one of the market leaders in that space and really hanging on to their brand heritage and legacy over many, many years now. APR is responsible for repositioning the brand from a, a pensioner brand into something that's more contemporary for over 50s, which I now find myself in that category. And REA Group and Australia Post, both brands with different um, different footprints, REA working internationally uh, with footprints in, in Italy and Hong Kong and Australia Post really transforming helping to transform that brand so that it could successfully service new markets from just delivering mail to delivering e-commerce and and digital financial services to City of Melbourne, as you said, and now more recently at the TAC. So again, great, really strong brands, world's most livable city and Victoria's most uh, revered brand that looks after road safety TAC is most famous for its road safety ads and prevention and um, and recovery, getting lives back on track in the event of of a of a car crash accident. Well, Joe, I cannot wait to see the many things that you'll be implementing on TAC, helping make our roads and streets a lot safer than what they are. But before we get to that. Uh, stream of conversation. You've achieved something quite unprecedented with City of Melbourne uh, by, you know, by basically transforming the city or turning the city, at least, you know, from uh, this perspective of the impression of peoples and how it's been analyzed as the most livable city in the world and for quite a few years on a row. So how does one go about building the world's most livable city brand? Oh, Sergio, you're too kind. I'd love to say that I'm the sole architect of the world's most livable city, but uh, it, <laughs> did, it did have that title before I uh, joined the city of Melbourne and still remains in the, the top five most livable cities. But it, it really is a, an effort that comes from you know, the, the people who are the city planners, the city architects, 
it comes from the community itself, uh, not only the, the people of the city who live and work and study uh, within it, but it's also the people who drive the economic uh, sustainability of the city. So, you know, I'm fortunate to be the marketing and comms head during that, that period. And really, it's, you know, my job's to amplify and to find the right contextually relevant time to to up-weight the different types of communication. And, and over my time, we uh, we talked about being a, a sustainable city and really pushing the green credentials of, of cities and a lot of the a lot of the rooftops and the canopies and how you actually change the biodiversity of the city to make it livable. Um, and then you look at right down at the ground level, the events uh, in the city and, and the ability to drive foot traffic into the city and to make sure that it's a vibrant city and a prosperous city um, and a livable city. So bringing all of those things together and then really understanding the precincts of the city, you know, the the Collins Street precinct and all it has to offer is quite different from Docklands, quite different from Carlton. So, again, working with uh, the people who are the architects of, of the city of the future to identify, well, how do people want to live in a city? How do they want to engage with the city? And what makes it livable? What makes things, services accessible from community services right through to to education? And we know that, you know, when you've got a vibrant, artists and creative community that you bring in startups and you bring in innovation and we've got um, one of the world's most prestigious universities uh, precinct in Melbourne University, RMIT uh, and a number of other universities and and, um, opportunities to learn. So Melbourne's just such a great place for all of those things to converge. I am a huge fan of Melbourne and I've lived there for many years so I completely can visualize everything you're saying about all the precincts and it's such a vibrant place. So thank you for your work in the branding department there, Joe. Um, why we wanted to speak with you and why I think that you're such a perfect guest to speak with is based on that experience that you've had there with City of Melbourne and in and with a lot of the great legacy brands you've worked with in Australia. It's really good to have that experience that you're bringing and because we're basically in the, the latest article that was published on the marketing website that you wrote with Sergio, we talk about the idea of urban brand utility and it's sort of an intersection of marketing and futures and all the conversations that we've been having. And I guess um, I'm going to ask Sergio to explain it a little bit more, but I think that it would be great for the listeners to see how practically these ideas could be applied, um, you know, based on your experience and knowledge, Joe. So maybe I'll turn to you, Sergio, and ask you if you could maybe just give the listeners a super quick definition of what urban brand utility is and sort of how it ties into the conversations that we've been having around futures and, and where we go next. Sure. Just like Joe, um, I love cities. I love the city of Melbourne as well. Uh, I've been living here for about 10 years now, on and off. Uh, and the cities have always been on, you know, as part of part of who I am. And as part of who I am, I'm also a marketer and uh, looking at urbanization as a mega trend that is basically shaping the way we live, work and play. And, you know, particularly right now, I've always been paying a lot of attention to that. And the cities are growing. Urbanization is moving people away from rural areas and onto cities. Right now, we're living this very weird period, but you know, it's it's something that is just an accident, hopefully, in, in this trajectory. But as cities grow, they also require more services. 
to more to, to, to sustain more people and provide a you know a, a, a livable standard that is uh, more than just you know enough that is something that people enjoy that people feel proud about their cities and as a marketer what i realized is that how can we use the whole infrastructure of marketing communications that we have in cities, the media, to support those services that are so much in need. Urban Brand Utility came out of that, that need. So, uh, so using uh, the many touch points that brand use uh, pretty much as an ornament in cities, but also as a touch point to communicate a message, but going beyond that, more than just telling a story, communicating a message, delivering a public utility service, particularly now when cities are going through these major growing pains. That's what Urban Brand Utility is. And so now turning back to you, Joe, um, and you wrote about this a little bit in the article, you know, given your experience in the marketing industry, what role do you personally see maybe something like brand, urban brand utility playing in connecting innovation with public interest? And what are some of the possibilities? Yeah, I think uh, when Sergio first talked to me about this, my excitement level was skyrocketing and uh, and I went back to my colleagues at the City of Melbourne in the planning area and and had a good conversation about, well, how might we do this differently? And I think if we come at it um, from our own disciplines, a commercial discipline or a community discipline, then we, we run the risk of missing the bigger opportunity. And, and what excites me about the concept and bringing it to life is in a, in a world where we talk a lot about collaboration, we really don't, um, we don't really collaborate. We, we get in a room, but we hold on to our our legacy principles and thought processes, and that makes it really difficult to imagine something new. And I think what what Sergio is touching on with the urban uh, brand utility is a new concept, and it requires almost that collaboration and commitment at the beginning that we'll we'll work together to find uh, a new way of thinking about things. And I think when the commercial practitioners sit down, we lose the community utility. And when the community planners sit down, all they see is, is advertising and visual pollution. And I think, you know, COVID more than any other time has brought into focus that what you can communicate for advertising, you can communicate for public education. And we need to be together at the beginning of the process and really step into each other's shoes and see the benefits of, of every aspect and create something completely different because it's it's the councils and the governments who set the policy frameworks that allow the different uh, planning scheme amendments and what will happen in different public um, realm spaces that we need to have some uh, reference to as commercial marketers. But as commercial marketers, we have to understand that the people that we're trying to sell products and services to or build awareness for um, also need to get about uh, doing what they're trying to do in their lunch hour or getting to work in, in the best way possible. And whether that's, you know, from a TAC perspective, that's around making sure that people are looking at roads and looking up and not looking at mobile devices. From a, from a City of Melbourne point of view, it might be, you know, it's a pollen count that you need to be aware of or it's a pollution or it's a, you know, a, a red zone, a hot zone in terms of COVID. But these, these messages need to coexist for the benefit of the audience rather than the person who's um, communicating messages. So it's a really, really interesting way to, to bring it to life, I think. 
And as much as we both think that these are two complementary things, marketing communications and urban design on the article that we co-wrote, you mentioned that there is a tension there. Why, why is there such a tension? Why, instead of coming together, they are basically trying to avoid one another or fight against each other? And if you could share some examples, some stories to bring that, this tension to life, we'd love to hear. Sure. I try not to get into too much hot water as we go through, Sergio. <laughs> but look, I think it, it, I mean, it's well documented. You've got, um, you've got to start with the Westminster system, right? It's, it's adversarial in nature. And I think all of the, the good work that governments do um, get done through collaboration and, and um probably out of the public eye and I think this is another one for that so if I look at you know there's a ongoing discussions uh, around the street furniture Sydney had a an outdoor furniture tender in place I know that there's been a lot written around Telstra and, and City of Melbourne and I believe that's ongoing so I won't won't touch on the specific nature but I think anywhere now with the internet of things the minute that you can use a surface, to communicate, then it becomes a, an, of interest to councils in particular around, well, is it serving public amenity or is it, um, is it a distraction? And, you know, there's a balance. And I think, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you've got councils who are trying to protect public citizens and make sure that they get about their business and protect the ambience of cities and make sure that they've got the right um, quality to them, which makes it livable and not just be a, um, you know, a visual uh, maze of things for for potential punters to walk through. On the other end, you've got um, advertisers who are trying to connect with audiences, and where better to connect with one million people per day in the city than um, you know through through different mechanisms, whether that be phone booths or whether that be you know media advertising, display advertising in lifts or or out on the streets. So. We've got to, I think that the essence here is we talk a lot about customer centricity or audience centricity, but at the end of the day, we take a single view of what that audience is and forget that there are a 360 degree person who has to do a number of jobs during the day and would benefit from a more collaborative approach to what messages and what platforms exist and why. And I think, you know, at the at the beginning of, and the end, someone re- reminded me, for every positive space, you've got a negative space and for everything you can turn on, you can turn off. And I think we need to start to think about that holistically about, well, what would happen if, it, if you did have more digital advertising across the city and at certain times of the day you just turned it all off, you know, or if you um, decided that I think there's a really good case study in, I forget which um, train station it was, I want to say the UK, but I'm not sure, who turned all of their digital advertising to cats. Mm-hmm. What does that do? there, there, there was actually an amazing ca- campaign in a city that was actually plagued by cats. That was in Japan, ono, Onomichi, Onomichi City. And they, they actually put some of those GoPro cameras on, on cats and you would have, you know, the cat view. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy, right? But that I think had uh, an eightfold or tenfold increase in tourism, only because they used something that was perceived as being a negative, a city infested by cats, with a city that now you can experience it as if you were a cat yourself. So uh, yeah, interesting, isn't it? And I, look, I, I think there's so much great work that um, that councils do. And if I talk about city of, of Melbourne, one of my favourite. Um, events is BioBlitz where, you know, the, 
the city invites people to come in and help categorise the different different uh, living organisms that are around the city and you know from bats right through to bugs. Now imagine if you could turn all of the digital advertising to that. So I think, you know, if you again if you go back to COVID and, and if some of the media providers had gone to the, the city, you know, or, or to um, state government and said, look, we're gonna turn over our advertising in lockdown and promote businesses that are available to be open and to do home delivery, how how good would that have been? But we don't tend to get our commercial providers stepping up into that space unless unless there's some sort of commercial need. And I think alternatively you don't get governments stepping into a, well, how could we do this better with a commercial lens because their heritage and their legacy is not not commercial. So this is why it's so important and some of the discussions with my colleagues at the City of Melbourne at the time were we have to start with everybody in the room with what's the best what's the best audience outcome rather than how do you balance things, what's the public interest versus balancing the commercial outcomes. It's not about balancing anymore, it's about and and how do we how do we sit down with some interesting and discussions and say, well, if we want to do this and we want to do that, what would that look like? And then how do we how do councils then turn that into planning and permits and how do commercial operators work out a return on investment so that audiences and communities have better outcomes overall. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Content Brain specialises in content creation across a diverse range of topics for many industry sectors. If you need help with content development for your blogs, thought leadership, white papers, video, podcasts or special projects, talk to the team at Content Brains. You'll find links in our episode notes. And uh, you, you mentioned a couple of times, Joe, the word collaboration, and I love this idea of turning that tension into, into something collaborative, um, into an opportunity potentially. And in the article, you wrote that this is the right time in, history, in the history of marketing to look at the media platform system in a way that can develop empathy for the position of each player and can use creative practice to work constructively and collaboratively on a shared solution. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think now is the right time? I think we've got burning platform, if you like, in in COVID. So I think everybody um, has recognised that there are certain things that need to be communicated, whether it's wearing a mask or staying out of an, a particular area, or you know, this is this is now a designated hotspot. You've got a moment in history where. You know, it's in the public interest to know these things more so than um, argument's sake, you know, climate change is upon us. And, you know, we've got a, a bigger community problem to solve and I think, you know, climate change would benefit from the same approach but it hasn't got the same traction. So I'm certainly not saying that one is a, is a bigger problem to solve than the other. They're both equally important. And I think we, as a community, now have come together around COVID in a way that we haven't come around any issue for such a long time. So if you put that into the construct of, well, what could we do differently? I think commercial operators, you know, whether it's the media platforms or whether the advertisers themselves, these things take time. And, you know, one of the things I learned at the City of Melbourne is you want community engagement, you want these parties that have got um, views to come forward and put them all on the table and debate them and discuss them and find a way forward, that's quite different than what we've had before. 
Otherwise, what you end up is legislators legislating and commercial operators trying to push the boundaries of what the legislation is and commuters, you know, and, and the community um, seeing a whole lot of messaging that is quite disparate. And um, I think, you know, with the expertise that the industry has got around share of voice and what makes a, a commercial proposition with, with councils knowing what communities require, <clears throat> the opportunity has come to collaborate with all of those things from the beginning rather than to try and um, triage different outcomes on the way through. And I think, you know, committees and collaboration are, are not the same C word and we should be trying to, to start with an agreed outcome rather than force everybody's outcome with a little bit of uh, compensation and, and consideration along the way. Collaboration, engagement, co-creation, co-design, they're all very common words in, in, you know, in agency land particularly, but also in the whole marketing industry as well. We are very much used to having you know, agency villages working together with the client and many other parties as well. And in the article, you actually ask the reader to imagine if public-private community representatives had an authentic mindset for both ongoing co collaboration and shared principles things could be a lot better. So what's, what is on the way for better collaboration between the, the, the public, the private, and communities as well? What are the things that are missing and or who are the parties that are not taking the necessary steps to make things happen? I think sometimes the commercial sector uh, doesn't step into some of the uh, council processes so if we use that for an example and whether they be council state or, or federal you tend to get lobbying from commercial organizations when they need an outcome for their business I think what we're asking for now is is for commercial operators uh, and the economic development sector to really step into the conversations at the outset and I think some really good examples of that again you know COVID's been a, a catalyst and I can only speak for the work going on at the city economy and activation team at the city of Melbourne but the the amount of work going into that collaboration from the ground floor for retail and hospitality accommodation um, all of the all of the industry sectors to get the economic prosperity and the vibrancy of the city back is um, is second to none and there's been some great relationships between council and, and state government in that regard. I think, you know, if you then applied that same principle and the way that those committees and economic advisory groups are working to this situation, um, you know, it'd be another opportunity to widen the scope a bit and add the planning community into it and really call for some submissions about, well, what could a, a different city look like and I think that's the opportunity for us to to leverage some of the new mechanisms that have been created through COVID and turn people's mind to well what's the next big problem that we need to solve and I think you know having a an agreed approach might be terrific and like I said it's probably going to take you know maybe six twelve maybe longer but imagine how fantastic it would be if everyone um, used some of the the intellectual power that we've been using to solve the COVID problems to actually recreate the way that the city might operate going forward. 
Mm, I, I love the fact that you mentioned the word mechanism because this is something that you repeated to me quite a few times. You need to share the mechanism. You need to show them how the mechanism works. And, and I did it. I did it as someone representing the private sector when you, when you invited me to come and present Herba Brand Utility to your peers at City of Melbourne. But still, uh, there was interest. There were challenges. But then there was a lot of silence. As someone from the private sector who demonstrated interest in collaborate with the public sector, what could I have done differently? What was missing in that, in that conversation? Look, I, I think it's just time and timing. And I think, you know, like, like all good marketing and advertising, you need to be contextually relevant. And now is the time to, to chip away and, and be contextually relevant and talk about you know, the new city, I, I look at the pop-up parklets that have gone in around the city, I look at the cycling lanes, um, I look at the amount of infrastructure and planning, you look at the state government's um, agenda around social housing. There are all of these opportunities and I think what we need to do as marketers is be a bit um, a bit more community-minded um, and step into some of these conversations about, well, what would this look like? How would this be different? How would you build... Uh, you know, a, a, a built environment and a, a natural environment that has these elements to it, which is around communication. I think, you know, you look at the city and you look at wayfinding in particular, all of the wayfinding signage around the city at the moment is static. In another 10, 15 years, that will all be dynamic and digital. So there are things that will change over the city. Um, if you look at you know, some of the really cool stuff that you see on LinkedIn where mobile phones have got the ability to project all of the, the old-fashioned ways of thinking about city, city signage uh, will be out the door. If you have a look at the next um, sort of state, maybe federal elections, and you look at somebody who's got a brick fence out the front, there'll be nothing stopping that person turning it into a digital sign, a bit like, uh, <laughs> a, bit like a, a massive billboard, and that, that won't come under the remit of a council, but it will be, it'll be signage. Um, and so we've got to start to think differently about all of these new technologies, what they do to a city fabric, what they do to the, the built form, what they do to the, the natural environment, and then how it all works together and, and have a view, not for one moment thinking that we need to be a, a nanny state and plan it all beyond an inch of its life. But to your point, Sergio, I think these conversations not start need to start now and they need to continue um, and they need to be done in a, in a way that able to be harnessed by councils and be harnessed by the, the public and the private sector together. So it is a call for submissions and maybe it's the university sector that brings, you know, councils and, um, and commercial together. And we, you know, it's a paper, it's a call to papers for community engagement um, and community being public and private sector and have the universities help help create what is the new mechanism that allows that value exchange so that the audiences benefit from it. I love this conversation because I feel as if during this this journey or this podcast, we have been looking to the future. We've been looking at the tools that you can use to to change the future or to be part of building a better future. And now this is sort of talking about the tangible, the nitty gritty, it's offering a solution. So, and the way that you're both unpacking it is absolutely fantastic. And so Sergio, I'd like to ask about in the article, you you wrote about the emergence C-Mares. So can you speak 
about what that what you meant by that and how these mayors fit into the type of collaborations that you and Joe have been speaking about. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think mayors historically they have been quite inward looking. You know, trying to look at the city, what needs to be fixing, what needs fixing, and what needs maintenance, and what are the new things we can introduce. Things like that. I think was maybe Mike Bloomberg, uh, New York's mayor, a former mayor, and he he's been there for. You know, he went. He was there for quite a few mandates. He started opening up. Uh, you know, maybe because he comes from the private sector, maybe because he's a big businessman and philanthropist as well. Uh, but uh, Bloomberg, he, you know, one of his first uh, initiatives was to create the C40, which is uh, this. Uh, Council, this almost like a parliament of mayors from 40 different cities, 40 different ward cities that I think now they probably have uh, more than 70 uh, uh, city members, more than 70 mayors uh, in, as part of a C40, which uh, is, is proving to be even more powerful than other uh, groups with uh, national representatives in, t- in terms of their effectiveness. And because it's a lot easier to run a city rather than a nation, that's where you can observe change happening as, as it's needed as well. And in doing so, uh, many of these mayors realized that working close, closer with uh, the private, private sector, particularly with uh, some uh, advertising campaigns, can also bring many benefits. And Joel, just like myself, uh, she's a big fan of campaigns like uh, the one in Moscow that Spurs uh, Bank ran which uh, turned some derelict uh, uh, shops into these uh, digital windows where people could just, you know, vote what type of shop, what type of business would you like to see in this empty space? And it's something that, you know, not only creates new opportunities for economic prosperity, but also fights the religion and creates a much more vibrant uh, uh, environment for people. But in doing that, mayors build a brand, build a brand for their cities. And in this sense, you know, this combination of managing a city and managing the brand of the city is what makes up for the CMA. And I, I can see, you know, some a few of those uh, uh, rising up. And uh, we also put the example of Domino's with the Paving for Pizza program. And, and you see how much this is doing for the city. They are saving money. They are making money. Uh, and by building their brands, they are attracting top talent, they are attracting foreign direct investment or even national investment as well. So it's something that I believe could become the catalyst for these uh, greater collaborations that, that Joe mentions so much. And I guess to wrap things up a little bit here, Joe, I've actually got a question for you. We In this series, we've been talking about the need to apply foresight in marketing, and I guess we're trying to open up dynamic and creative conversations to understand understand what role marketing as a discipline or marketers as people, as well as businesses and brands can play in shaping a future. And so putting your, your marketing hat back on, what are your thoughts about the future of the industry and what role we can play in shaping a better overall future? Wow, what a what a big question to to finish on. It is. <laughs> um, look, I think there's marketers are if we're doing our job well are disruptors. So we should be always challenging the status quo in a constructive way. 
we should be looking for better ways to do things, looking for more 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 balance. You know, we need to make sure we've got good customer outcomes and community outcomes. We need to make sure that we've got financial sustainability. But more importantly, we need to keep asking what is the why of what we're doing rather than just the what. And I think, you know, a strategic marketing view of the world really unlocks the why in ways that are aligned with different groups of people and really optimises um, systems and, and processes along the way to do that. So I think for, for us, you know, we should be, if we're not the people convening uh, a lot of these discussions, then we should be the, the people facilitating a lot of these conversations across different disciplines and across different uh, enterprises and government. And I think we, we should be asking ourselves as individuals what we could do differently and how we could do better. And I think that's the bit that COVID has, um, has given us a bit of a focal point to say, well, we've got this moment in history where we're going to have to work differently, we're going to have to think differently our um, cash flow for the future is going to come from different things than what it has today done, you know, in the in the past. And I think now's a, a time to step to step up and try and try and bring people together that have got a different perspective. And again, I, I really like. I think the, the last thought I'll leave leave you with is there's this really nice idea about cathedral thinking. And back in the day, that it took generations to build a cathedral and you know, what you started, your family members in the future generations might be the ones to finish. And and I think that's where we need to focus with some of these longer-term problems. Um, of course, there's a problem right in front of us today and, I, you know, we certainly need to all be thinking about how to solve for that and to come out of, of the COVID lockdowns that we've been in and, and re-engage with the world, whatever that looks like. But I think beyond that, you know, what do we want to do in 10, 20 years' time? And I think climate change has captured the imagination in what it will be like if we don't get that right. But equally, alongside of that is this, well, what does a sustainable culture look like? What does a sustainable city look like? How can we all contribute to that? And it's we've got to stop the binary either or and start thinking and, which I, I really like, borrowing from the design thinking world. Futurecast is the Marketing Mag podcast series brought to you by Content Brains and presented by Marketing Mag. Futurecast is produced by Joanne Davies, Head of Content Brains and Publisher of Marketing Mag. And Jazz Giuliani, Editor of Content Brains and Marketing Mag. Our executive producer is Sergio Brodsky with original music and audio production by Sam Boone. If you want further details on our podcast or our guests, please visit the episode notes in this podcast. Remember to subscribe to Futurecast so you never miss an episode.